לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, Welcome to a very special edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malaman in Highland Park, the Highland Park Conservative Temple, Kurgish Anjamid. And joining me are my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, seated in the Solomon Schechter of Day School of Long Island, correct? That's yes. Right. I'm in one of the, cla- the classroom where I have minions every morning. And seated in the Anche Chesed in New York City, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky. Great to see you, Jeremy. Shalom to you, everybody. We're recording this a couple of days before Yom Kippur, and so we're going to focus today on Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur starts with Kol Nidre. So let's try and get into the mood of Kol Nidre. Jeremy, what, what happens in your shul? What, what goes on in your shul? Well, in a normal year, um, not, like, not like the last couple of years, one of the things I like about Kol Nidre is that you know, every, the room is really full. We got we got a really big sanctuary, and there's like, you know, thirteen hundred seats or something like that. And it's one of the only times that the room is really, really full. And uh, the um, the gathering together of people who I wish everyone would come to show every Saturday or every day, but uh, you know they haven't seen each other for a long time. And this year we have a five hundred person limit. It's not going to be the full the full dose. We're having two different kol nidres one after the other, um, to maximize the number of people who can come. But in a normal year, one of the precious things of Kol Nidre is really watching this whole community materialize again. People sit next to the same people year after year, and they greet each other. And, you know, the the power of Kol Nidre, at least there's maybe multiple levels, but one level is that we all say, you know, B'yeshiva Shalmala, B'yeshiva Shalmata, you know, with, with heaven's permission, but also the permission of all of us here together, davening together, we constitute the community. So I, I find that really special. Barry, you have uh, a different kind of experience. You're not a pulpit rabbi, but you are a congregant. <laughs> so I, the last uh, couple of years, I go to um, the Young Israel, which has a very small crowd. Maybe we'll have 15 or 20 people for Kol Nidre, but the way that the synagogue is shaped it is very intimate. And it really, I, I've always found it to be spiritually uplifting to dive in there. You know, in, in my show, we have, uh, we do a procession um, of the Torahs. I'm sure you do that also. We bring all the Sifri Torah, you take them all out of the Ark, and then we, we assemble um, in, in, in the library, which is uh, just down the hall from, from the shul. And, and as we're giving out the Sifri Torah to, it's usually past presidents and other, other um, you know, officers of the shul, uh, I get a moment to spend with them. And, and um, I always find it very emotional. It's a very, very emotional moment. I always feel like I'm the coach in the locker room. You know, and we're 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 all getting ready for the big game, and 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 I say a couple of words that you know, come on, we're 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 going, 
we're gonna give it we're gonna leave everything on the beam <laughs> it's but um no I, I i say some serious things about um just how beautiful it is and of course you know i think and jerry i want to pick up on this this the idea that you mentioned because you know I, it was so powerful a couple of days ago rosh hashanah you know the experience of a lot of people coming you know this is new to to many of us and we are reminded of what we have missed over the last several months and and it's not an accident it's it's the idea of these holidays not only for what they are in content but for what they are in form namely all of the people and the energy that comes from all of the people and so you see who is there and yes and and po the people that you're missing the people that that have passed away recently and 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 that i think that awareness is a very very powerful awareness for everyone who is there i don't know if you want to pick up on that so I, I just want to interject something so when you were talking Elliot, there's a wonderful wordplay because things aren't new they're new again so it's a kind of renew yeah. that now we're seeing things the way they were a couple years ago and we realize that both what we've lost and the bit with the passage of time but that we have the opportunity to reclaim the, the past and make it new again and that really speaks i think to the experience that i have and i think a lot of other people have on yom kippur that great sense of renewal both personally and cosmically yeah i mean i i am not a um terribly musical person I don't sing well and I don't have any musical education but it's also impossible not to feel like you know especially Kul Nidre the haunting tones it's just so it's just so intense uh and for for me you know I'm not like I, I don't have the vocabulary to explain how music works we were talking about this before the before the uh, we started recording, the intuitive way that music works on us, even when we don't know how it works, or or the the techniques by which a given you know piece of music works, but Kol Nidre, as as the text you know as rabbis have said for centuries, the text is not meaningful really. You know, um, the the text is not obviously meaningful to be to be you know to renounce the the misbegotten vows of the previous year or the next year or whatever it is. Um, it's not really that. It's this musical weave that helps us feel like there was some stuff that happened in that previous year which we really didn't mean or we really failed and we want to be free of it to move forward. And then it ends off, okay, I've forgiven you. Now let's go do the work. <laughs> right. And it's, it's the music moves from minor to minor to more minor and then Venisla is major, and and you can feel you feel this intuitively. You feel the yearning, you feel the mourning, and you feel you know that that it's a piece of you. It's a piece of your life. And and of course you know the 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 cantorial tradition has so so embellished it, um, and it it just uh, soars. Um, talk about. Things that are going on in in uh, in the evening, of course, part of the elements of of Yom Kippur uh, that appear at every service, whether it's the uh, the Aravit uh, service, the Kol Nidre service, the Shachrit, the Musaf, and uh, the Neila, the Mincha and the Neila, 
every service is composed of, of a certain basic set of building blocks. Uh, we're not going to do them in any, in any particular order, but, but let's talk about slicha and let's talk about vidui. So, so could you give me, I, I give, I'm, give me the 10,000 foot view of what a slicha is. Okay. And, and, why is it there, or or what's it what's what's going on liturgically? What do we mean by a slicha? And here, you know, the the reference to Adonai Adonai Rachum Vichanu. What what is going? And the, the, the each service has that. Yeah, you want to go? Yeah. So again, at the young Israel I go to, they have slichot every morning since um, a week before Rosh Hashanah. And the way the calendar fell out, I was able to go a few of the times. Normally, I don't. I only go the first time, and we do it in the morning, so we don't have the Saturday night one. And we often don't have a minion either. So it's interesting. That's the part of the slichot that we skip is the thirteen attributes. But I, I, when I think of the thirteen attributes, you know, we sing. They're part of the the festival service. That's what we add to the Torah service on the. Um, on the Shlosh Regalim. And, you know, they're part of this great process of forgiveness because the worst sin, certainly from the point of view of Sefer Shmot, is the golden calf. And this is what's going to come as part of the reparation of the relationship between God and Israel, which never is completely restored on one hand. The Ark is going to be moved out of the community. But it speaks to this idea that we are in this together with God. That I was telling one of my kids or one of my students the other day that we need God, but God also needs us. And Yom Kippur, I think, is a time when we remember that we certainly can't do this without God, but neither can God do this without us. And I think that ultimately, you know, Yom Kippur, I think we mentioned before we started recording, is really a holiday of hope. It's not a, a day of despair. But Tisha B'Av, by contrast, is a day of despair. I, I think that's really important. And, you know, if you read the sort of, um, I, I think the theological, like, structure as, as, Chazal understands it as, as the Talmudic era rabbis understand it. Rosh Hashanah is much more of a downer day. That's Yom Hadin. That's that's the day that you have to go before the heavenly tribunal. That's the scary day. And Yom Kippur is the day you get the the, the good answer, right? The so Yom Kippur is a joyous day because you get cleansed, and you know, as the the final Mishnah in Tractate Yoma says, you know, that God is the mikvah in which we all in which we all immerse and come out hope. There's a wordplay going on there because the word mikvah both means the gathering together of the waters and the hope. So somehow you get this purifying experience and it is a holiday of hope, but over the centuries, I think thanks to music and thanks to the fact that one day is a feasting day and one day is a fasting day, uh, I think those positions kind of reversed and we do tend to feel that Rosh Hashanah is a happier time and Yom Kippur is the is a more like downer time, but I think in fact the exact opposite is what was originally encoded. Um, that that bit about the the Yud Gimel Midot and the, exactly as Barry said, the uh, this is the passage of Moses and God reconciling after the terrible terrible thing of the golden calf. 
um, it's portrayed in, in the Talmud actually as this uh, God, God is, is said to, so to speak, put on a talit and show us how to pray this and tell us that it is an irresistibly effective prayer. And I think it's exactly the point that you just said, Barry, is that God's praying that we will be reconciled and we are praying that we will be reconciled. And we both know that there is like a lot of wreckage in the past. You know, you or I may not feel like we have worshipped the golden calf, but I think if you say the 13 midot and you throw yourself on, on the divine mercy and say, Adonai, Adonai, Rachum v'chanun, you are metaphorically saying, you know, I'm, I'm among these people of golden calf worshippers. And so we just gotta, we just gotta put it behind us and we gotta move forward to something better. I think it's, it's such a powerful theme that, that we're still asking forgiveness for something that happened thousands of years ago, but, but it underscores a, a certain kind of reality in, in, in a human life, which is that, you know, mistakes happen in a, in a person's life. I, I, I've spoken about this in the past where, where I say, you know, some of us are still atoning for things that we did decades ago. You know, and and that they stay with you. The emotional shrapnel of of mistakes they don't go away after a year. You 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 do you know feel the residue of that from time to time. And and what Yom Kippur does collectively as a Jewish people, Yom Kippur allows us to go back to primordial you know events that that shaped the people and that you know created this this movement between us and God, uh, the, an annual cycle of restoration of that relationship. But what Yom Kippur does personally is it, it makes you go back to certain roots in your life that, that you, are, you are always trying to repair. And, and I think yeah. that, that, that the, the verse then is timeless personally, communally, and collectively. So um, I want to ask you a question about what you just said, which is that... Um, it calls to mind that there is a discussion in the, in the Talmud there in Tractate Yoma about whether you should, if you've confessed one year, should you confess the same sin another year? So what's at stake is the, you know, what's sort of at, at poetically or theologically at stake is if you confess the same sin a second time, you're sort of implying that God didn't forgive you the first time, which is maybe not a nice thing to say about the El Rahum B'chanun, but I think that the feeling of the, the accumulated schmutz that we have, the things that we feel guilty for, the things that we feel still need working on, I think it does last from year to year. So what do you, what do you gentlemen think? Do you, do, you, do you think that one should confess the same sin multiple years or one and done? I'm going to take this one on. I think, yes, you should confess it because you're, you are reminding yourself of where you come. It's, it's, it's the spiral you know, metaphor, you, you, you go back to a certain place that these things, a human life exists with all of its Samsonite collection. Okay. You know, we, all, <laughs> we all carry, we all carry, a, I mean, you know, a good, a good collection and, <laughs> and you, you just don't leave that. It's just, it stays with you. I mean, that's what, what I, I don't want to say this, you know, with too much cynicism, but, the, great, the amazing thing about Yom Kippur is that we all think that that we're forgiven and we go, you know, we don't really change. You know, a lot of people, maybe the optimistic part of us is that we, we will change. It, Yom Kippur dangles in front of us the possibility of change. 
but but in truth you know change happens in a much more subtle and complicated way rather than so I want to add to that. It's not, I, I think when I was much younger, I thought change was the whole point of Yom Kippur, that we would come this one day and with great resolve, we would come out better people. Now that I'm much older, I think that the message of Yom Kippur is acceptance. We don't change nearly as much as we want to, but we accept ourselves more for who we are. And that actually, I think, is what allows us to accept other people for who they are. Very and powerful. so it makes us much better people, not because we're more free of sin, but because we're more accepting of other people's sins. I think that's really, that's really amazing. I mean, you know, the Maimonides in, in, the, in the Laws of Chuba says this thing which people like, but really just is unrealistic for the reasons that you said, is, is that, you know, when you really commit, when you really make tshuva, you effectively say, I am not the same person. Yeah. That was another person. And I think that that is not only a, uh, you know, unmoored from psychic human reality. I don't even think it's desirable. I actually think that, that having a sense of yourself with your own path and your own growth, the, the high moments, the low moments, the, the moments at your best, the moments at your worst, I think that's really important. So I would never want to say, you know, I'm not the same person who, you know, who did X and Y and Z at my worst moments. Uh, actually, I think my, my best sense of myself has to be, you know, the person at the best and the person at the worst. Absolutely. Let's move to another major building block of the tefillah for Yom Kippur, and that's the vidui. The vidui is familiar to us because uh, it, it, it starts off with... Um, and then it goes into the and it concludes oi <laughs> from i to oi <laughs> a whole alphabetic acrostic of sins um, all sorts of sins three different sets of sins and depending on which moxer you're using and I have in front of me um, the uh, the new moxer which is like the greatest hits of the moxer um, you know you could really go go all out with, with the vidui. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what to ask. I don't want to ask, you know, I, I do want to, you know, share a, a favorite portion of the vidui. I don't know if that's a, a good way to do this or, or just thoughts on the vidui altogether. Um, and and uh, Barry, you're inching forward here, so go ahead. Okay, so when I, I started on my rabbinic career as a pulpit rabbi, we used the Harlow Machsor. And um, one of the things I noticed is that the Al-Khid in the Harlow was half as long as the one in the traditional Machzor because they only use one letter for each letter of the alphabet. So I was able to assure my congregation that conservative Jews sinned less than others. <laughs> Obviously. But I think, you know, a lot of people have made up much of the fact that most of the sins that are listed are sins of speech. And I, I think what is important about the Al-Khayt is that I, I like the double acrostic because there is a lot of things that we do wrong and it's hard for us to quantify. We're much better quantifying what other people have done to us than what we've actually done ourselves. And I think that the Al-Khayt, more than the Ashana, which is just one word for the letter, but I'll hate you have that phrase. So you really have to think about it as you're saying it. You can't rush on to the next letter of the alphabet. 
And it, it can force us to really think about how we actually behave. You know, what are the things that we do that we don't need to do? And, um, you know, there, there aren't really a lot of great sins in the Al-Qaeda, as I remember, right? We're not forget, asking for forgiveness because we murdered someone. We're asking forgiveness for the things that we do daily that we don't really think about doing when we do them. And we have to remember, once a year at least, that these are wrong and we can do better. Wow, is that true? Is, so I just went to the Shin because I was I thought that Shvichut Damim I thought that killing was in there but it's it's Shvuat Shav and Sinat Chinam false oaths and uh, it's the alphabetical uh, it's not Shvichut Damim it's false oaths and pointless hatred at least in the Lev Shalem let me pull a different one out here um, Sikur Ayin I think is Sikur Ayin but that's in the Samet verse that's so, in the uh, sorry sorry you're right Sinat Chinam Shvuat Shav yeah yeah say. wow. Okay. Well, but then you go on to the uh, then you go on to the, the the other one, which I'm not sure actually if this is even in our in our conservative Mazorim, but the one that says, okay, and, and for the ones that we the ones that require skila and srefa, the different yeah. kinds of executions. I, I love those. I love those sins. <laughs> that list. I used to think that we read them all so that we would know what we were supposed to do in the coming year. Indeed, indeed. What okay, so so Jeremy, any 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 Highlights or takes or or little homilies, sermon. You know, I um, I I go back and forth between thinking whether these are like like most of the prayer book, um, composed by, you know, artists, spiritual artists and sages, who help us with with their tremendously poetic words, help us put into into words things that we might not otherwise have the tools to do which is what I generally think about the tefillah, um, or something just like, something kind of general, an alphabetical acrostic to prompt you yeah. to leave the, this set of words behind. Um, you know, ashamnu bagad, ashamnu just means we're guilty. Bagadnu, we betrayed. Gazalnu, we stole. Dibarnu dopi, we, we spoke stupidly. I tend to think that these things trigger in me uh, jumping off points rather than contentful liturgy. So I try to I try to come up with. It, it's kind of too long to do in any one of the Alkhaid recitations. So I try to just I try to like look back over the year and identify moments when I've fallen into some of the general traps, like Bagadnu. You know, we betrayed. Like this, betraying somebody who trusts you, betraying a, a relationship that you have—that's that's important and deep. And and so I just would say to people, I say to myself, and I would say to others, slow down there and try to come up with some moment where you really feel genuine regret and resolve to change. Regret is not enough; you got to have resolve to change um, over over each of these things, and let the list prompt you to to get there. So I, I have a, a favorite uh, piece in the Vidui. It's not, it's not in the list, although I love the music to Ashamnu because it's kind of ironic that it's, it's, it's upbeat and almost major. And, you know, we are sinful, you know. <laughs> but uh, there's, the, there's a paragraph in there that, that 
never fails to um, to leave me shattered, which is because um, and it's because I learned it's you know a long time ago when when I was a young uh, a kolbo I used to go out to different shuls and do every you know do the whole thing. Um, so it's Atayodea, and I listened to a Jan Pierce uh, album. He had uh, Jan Pierce sings the High Holidays or something like that. It's mm-hmm. a I, I, I listened to a piece of it on YouTube. It's it's absolutely remarkable. Anyway, the 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 paragraph is Atayodea Raze Olam, and it goes Atayodea Raze Olam Atayodea Raze Olam. You know the secrets of the universe. As well as the secrets of every single living being. You look into everybody's chambers of their stomach <laughs> and their kidneys and their heart. There's nothing hidden from you. Nothing con- con- concealed from you. But the music of it and I can't do it, you know, well, it's... And it just, like, shatters you. It's That's it. You are an open book. You are... Your guts are open. It's all there. And... And there's no, you can't hide, and so this is it. You're leaving it all there, and and when we go to that passage, it's 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 very visceral. It's literally visceral. Literally visceral. This is this is a reason why um, I think that a religious person needs a nice repertoire of theological images and tropes. Uh, you know, I, I think that there is like times in your life when you know you feel god so intimately and and as the rabbinic phrase goes speak to you from between the hairs of your head and there are times when you just feel the divine loving presence and the creative presence on rosh hashanah and yom kippur it is very helpful to have god as the cosmic superego that that is the you know em- emblem and avatar and paradigm of of the loftiest standards and ideals, and you have to measure yourself in your inevitable failure against the Melech Olamim. I think the Melech Olamim is is a very helpful part to have in your in your theological repertoire. And I think the Bochen Klayot Ulev, well, that's really you you gotta have God as the Bochen Klayot. Like you gotta you gotta know that the there is some reality. Searches your that, kidneys. That, that searches your kishkas right out. Okay, and you can't you can't fake that because because God is your day God knows it all. I've seen it. I know it. Um, I, I I got it in my hard drive. Let, let's let's. I want to use this as the perfect segue because we have Chadre Baten, which is the chambers of your stomach, your 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 kidneys, and your heart, uh, to talk about the body, and and the body is 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 really central to our lives. <laughs> Uh, and the body hard to do anything with that one. It's that's basically it. It's central to Yom Kippur. The yeah, that was Neil Gilman's great thought about resurrection. Is that you know Rabbi Gilman? I think we all had him as a teacher. Love had some show. surprising 
theological positions. Yes. You know, he was more or less a left-wing theologian, and then he would have these surprising things. He loved to do at the seminary synagogue. Um, but I remember, you know, his book, The Death of Death, one of his ideas about believing in resurrection is that we can't really imagine ourselves as people without our bodies. That central to our own identity is our, the body which we inhabit, and therefore, he couldn't imagine there would be another life without the body. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing, there's a kind of paradox on Yom Kippur, because we deny the body. So, in fact, we can concentrate on the spirit. But because we're denying the body, we tend to think a lot about it <laughs> on Yom Kippur. <laughs> Well, uh, Jeremy, give me give me some give me some thought on the body. Give me some something to think about as you fast. Well, like so, Barry just Barry just brought up that that kind of in, inverted paradox, right? That um, that you know the ostensible thing is to you know transcend the body, but you can't because you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're tired. So maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the initemet nafshotechem. You're supposed to afflict yourself. That somehow causing pain. This is where I. This is where I go basically. Uh, that somehow causing pain, um, in a mild, you know, a mildly aesthetic way, not a very intense aesthetic way in Judaism, but a little bit, actually can, uh, if we can say this, take you out of your right mind. Because you spend the rest of the year making sense of your of your whole life, your failings, and you rationalize stuff, and you you know assiduously try to forget some stuff. And if you cause yourself some physical renunciation, and you don't eat and drink, and you don't bathe, and you don't wear what is taken to be comfortable clothes, um, and you renounce the you know, the life-affirming uh, uh, active impulse of, of sexual relations, maybe that actually is a help of taking you out of your right mind and making you unable to make sense of yourself and your behavior and all the kind of like inadequate ways that you have been forcing you to look at it from another side around. Uh, does that make sense? No, yeah, yeah. as well said. Do you, so what do you put any stock in in the idea that Yom Kippur is a rehearsal for death that is you're 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 living you're trying to live outside your body does that drive you at all any I, I think more than a rehearsal for death is a rehearsal for the world to come uh -huh. that is in other words I think that the element of it, we dress in the kettle which is symbolic of death but at the end of Yom Kippur, we take the kid off because we're alive again. And I think that the way I understand it is that Yom Kippur is about making ourselves more alive, that we should live more. You know, there's this great phrase in Thoreau, which of course I will not be able to remember, about he wanted to use everything he had in his life, everything that was within him, so that, you know, he would be able to say, in modern idiom, that he left it all on the field when he died. Yeah. Um, never, he only lived to be 45, but... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The, the point is, I think, that 
you know, we, it, it gives more impetus to the idea that there is life after death. But we get to life after death by living a full life here. You know, we're not rushing to get to the next world. We're very much centered in this world and we can, in a sense, get past death. I think that's what Yom Kippur is about in many ways. There's, a, there's just a, an experience, when it works, when, when the day works, the feeling at the end is, um, is very intense. It's, a, it's an intense feeling of satisfaction. So let's, as we have you know, just a couple of minutes left, let's talk about the end of Yom Kippur and that feeling and and perhaps after a day of fasting you know you do have you do have a certain glow i mean we talked about you know before we recorded about the glow on the face of the kohen gadol and i think that we are we either have an internal glow or an external glow you know i don't i don't kind of light up like a 100 watt bulb but but i feel certainly lighter i see i feel a, a, a deep sense of joy um I feel um, accomplishment, certainly, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a rabbi, I run a whole marathon service, that, that's certainly part of it. But it's, it's deeper than that. That, that final chauffeur blast really, um, I find it tremendously emotional. I get very emotional about the whole thing. I don't know, Jeremy, you want to reflect on, on those moments at the end? Yeah, the moments at the end. Um, I'm going to... Uh... I'm going to hold in abeyance that, that rehearsal for death thing because I, I think it really is that's profound, um, and and that's definitely a part of it. Because uh, of the, the end, huh? Because of Shema Yisrael and and all that. Because of Shema Yisrael, um, you know, if you if you th that wearing of the kittle that you're going to go into the ground in, you know, I was married in. I've had it on uh, the the. I, I don't. I don't know that I'm going to make this one little piece of cotton is going to make it another, you know, I mean, 50 some years until I'm 120. But, um, but you're going to go into the ground wearing this, this uh, kettle as well. It's, it's big, but the end is a total, you know, just, you just lift off and because you, you feel that this, um, this, this period of having, kind of torn yourself down a little bit, broken down some of your defenses, you've come through it, and now you get expelled, expelled in a good sense, like like pushed joyfully, uh, born into a new year, and it's gonna be a redemptive year. We talked a little bit before we started recording about the, there's a tradition that the, the Sefer of Vayikra, Book of Leviticus says that that every seventh year is, you know, sabbatical and this coming year sabbatical year. And then, and seven times seven, 49 into the 50th is a Jubilee year. And the Jubilee is like the macro sabbatical. Everybody gets to return to their ancestral homelands and, and everybody gets a fresh chance economically and they get to start all over again. And, and society now, the, the, some of the economic inequality is washed away and the slaves go free. And that's the part that's really I think meaningful for Yom Kippur, the slaves go free, the slavery to some patterns that you, you know, you've been struggling with or that have hemmed you in, maybe they're going to release. So the, the idea is that Yom, in, in the book of Leviticus, it says that you, you proclaim liberty throughout the land, familiar to all of us Americans from the Liberty Bell, and you blow the shofar. And the shofar at the end of Yom Kippur is associated because we lost count of when the Jubilee is, maybe this year is the Jubilee. And so we're going to go free this year. I really hear that freedom in the Lashana Habab Yerushalayim 
and the big shofar is just a, a, a clanging symbol of a symbol crash of, of, of new liberation. Big fanfare, the big ending. So what I would add to what you said so beautifully, Jeremy, is this, that the three phrases before you blow the shofar is the Shema, which we hope will be the last words we utter on this earth. It's the Baruch Shem Kavod Nachutol which is the congregational response in the temple to hearing God's name pronounced as it was supposed to be pronounced. And Adonai Hu Elohim, which goes back to the story of Eliyahu in his fight against the, the prophets of Baal, and it is the culmination of the Rosh Hashanah coronation story that at the end of Yom Kippur, we crown God king. And the Jubilee year, which speaks to me, is that it is about a restoration of cosmic harmony. The slaves go free because that is supposed to be the natural state of a human being. The land goes back to its original owner. And so I think the one way to understand Yom Kippur is that the reason why we recount our sins is because our true selves are not sinners. We are originally not sinners and we're supposed to embrace the cosmic harmony and reclaim the world as God meant it to be. And I think that for me, at the end of Yom Kippur, I have these intimations of cosmic harmony. And, and the desire for an apple <laughs> or some kind, of, some kind of thing to break the fast, a glass of juice, a piece of candy, a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee. A cup wow. of coffee. We have taken us on a journey. This is quite a journey. Um, Yom Kippur is a journey, and, and as we conclude, we are thanking everyone for watching. I, we simply want to wish again to all of our devoted viewers and listeners, uh, Shana Tova, Gemar Chatima Tova, may you have a sweet year, beautiful year, and may this Yom Kippur be fulfilling in every single way, in ways that we have talked about, in ways that will unfold before you. We want to wish everyone Gemar Chatima Tova. Have an easy fast and see you on the next edition of Parsha